Hello and welcome to the Culture File Weekly with me, Luke Clancy. And this week we're in northern Germany for what might be the world's most important contemporary art event, Documenta 15. Unfurling its tentacles over 80 venues in the rebuilt city of Kassel in Germany almost every five years since 1958, this self-described seismograph of developments in contemporary art sniffs out what might be going on in what's called the art world. Doing that has usually involved curation by members of the tribe of super-curators who dominate the global art market in ideas and, yes, in money. But Documenta 15 tries in desperate times something different, inviting instead the Indonesian artist collective Ruin Grupa to curate. But rather than do that, the group set up a chain reaction, inviting artist collectives from all over the world to make their choices. The result is a kind of anti-documenta, a decentered maelstrom of art and activism, manifestos and slogans spilling from museums into tents and field restaurants, boats and archives, dance halls and printing presses, and spilling too onto the front page in Germany, where the radical autonomy of it all seems to have led to the inclusion of anti-Semitic images, raising doubts even about the event's future. This week on Culture File, we'll be visiting what some pessimists say will be the last documenter. Along the way, meeting artists from Mexico, Cuba, Bangladesh and even some Germans. This time, armed with a handy German for artists phrasebook, we're going to the Documenta Halle, which, along with painting, sculpture and a skateboard park, houses a busy offset printing press, named using one of Ruin Grupa's Indonesian keywords, the Lungbung Press. Ich finde deine Arbeit toll. I think your work's great. A train getting ready to leave the station. Yes, and in fact, there's like this sound of a train. We we made a, a certain kind of experiments. A couple of weeks ago, we made like a concert using the machine as a musical instrument. Uh, since Dieter, he's like uh, also a musician, we place like a little platform over the machine. So he starts drumming over the machine and, uh, and other musicians and the technicians of the place also like involved in music and involved with, like, with sound help us to record like, and, and to put add microphones to the machine. So we were able to, 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 to make delays and loops and reverbs of the, of the sounds of the machine. And we use it then as a, as a musical instrument. This is real techno, you know. The sound of a machine. All my life as a printer, I was thinking about maybe I could, should drum with a machine, you know. And now it's possible. I sit on, on top of the machine and I have a drum set and play, play to the rhythm of the machine. My name is Eric Beltran. I'm a visual artist. All my work has been like linked to, to printing and editing and, like, uh, let's say, multiplying and questioning or doubting about this multiplication. What does it mean? What does it mean to take an image? What does it mean that it's placed somewhere? What does it mean that it's like reproduced, multiplied? We are in Lumbum Press, and this is uh, a collaborative project, part of the Documenta 15, and it's like a, a, a project that all of the artists or of the Lumbum we gather to kind of like create a printing shop. Lumbung basically it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a barn, and it's like the barn that uh, farmers in Indonesia gather. Like they work all together for like the like uh, 
like growing, like the crops. And when they gather everything, they put it into this barn and then it distributed equally among everybody. So it's like kind of like common work. Basically, that's our, our, our objective to kind of uh, uh, gather in certain moments that if we are alone, we will not achieve certain things. But now, for example, the, the printing shop, we have like this possibility of, of everybody help, benefiting everybody. The interesting thing, of course, is that you have that press, but it's not away in a side street somewhere or in another building. It's here right next to other exhibits. You're between a skate park and a Ugandan cinema, literally. Yes, yes. Well, in fact, we have like, a, a, this is like the offset machine. It's like, as you see, it's like a, quite a, quite generous. We have like two-headed thing. And uh, we are like uh, printing live, uh, as you may hear, like the machine, like going on and off. Then we have over there, we have like the binder that makes like the possible to make like the booklets. And then you move to the stitcher and the stitcher makes like the, like the stapling of all these booklets. And then you have like the guillotine, which uh, makes you like uh, kind of like manage like the paper and also refine all the final product. And in the middle, we have like a, a table, which is like kind of like a collective uh, place because uh, since we are like a small team, there are moments that we ask other, other artists who already published to help us to gather the material for other artists. So it's like a kind of like a, everybody's helping everybody. Uh, we are really interested of having like the process live. As you may see, every time like the machine is running, people get like uh, around it because you, you try to understand like exactly the process. And that is something that we are like really kind of like concerned that you really see that we are into it and that there's like a process, there's action, there's a transformation of matter. For us, it's a, it's a matter of contact and it's a matter of like uh, uh, also about like speed. Paper allows you to 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 pay attention in a different uh, uh, manner, in a different uh, yeah, velocity that it will allow you, by example, digital media. And we are interested also like, to have like, uh, this also document and, and evidence of like, that we were being working and there's like, been a process. And the process is being documented through all of the way. So it's very important to have like, also uh, this contact with the people also, because when we're giving like, things away, we realize that nowadays nothing is free and something like people are really excited of the fact that they can receive something that is being created directly and uh, with no intermediation and no, no uh, in-betweens and no excuses. No? Artist, activist, curator Eric Beltran there introducing us to the word lumbung. Food, its politics, its meanings and even its eatings are a key feature of Documenta 15. There's the Inland Collective from Spain whose work includes cheese making and the setting up of a cheese cafe and whose long-term project involves providing educational opportunities for shepherds and their families. On the river Fluda at the Ahoy Boathouse, Chang En Man explores the effects of a species of giant snail at Chatina Felica introduced to Taiwan during the Japanese occupation as a food source. At a half dozen spots around the town, Hamja Asan has created spoof halal chicken shops, the most apt of which is at Castle's permanent Museum of Sepulchral Culture, where it offers final fried chicken, America's number one choice on death row. And then there's the Brito Arts Trust from Bangladesh, who set up a bazaar filled with artworks exploring food and politics, from red peppers that doubled as hand grenades to ceramic potato sacks, some marked Black 47, as well as a four-storey mural depicting food-centred scenes from Bengali cinema.
In a nearby garden, Brito Arts Trust built a Bengali village where, for the duration of Documenter's 100 days, they've been cooking and distributing free meals and providing a base for others to do the same. Culture File went there to share a plate with Brito Arts Trust Tayeba Begum Lippi. It smells very good. <laughs> uh, yes. Now it's lunchtime. Hello. This is our bunker, and um, we're having our German uh, cooks today because we're having actually every day we're having uh, new people to cook. We are in the end of the day. We have a plan to do it for 100 days, so we have been like, we have already done. Uh, for many days, but there are a lot of um, lot of people who are interested to cook, so you cannot stop them. <laughs> so each day there is a new food. So what's on the menu today? It should be like a jacket potato and some other uh, things also, and some kind of pakora I think they are making. You have a, one of your plates in your hand, some lines of poetry from Avon Boland, because that's written on the plate. There are actually a few different designs, but yeah. this one... Of cold, of hunger, of the toxins of a whole history, but her feet were held against his breastbone. The last heat of his flesh was his last gift to her, even Boland. And that's what you will read if you finish your plate. You want to eat on this one? <laughs> I am oh, yeah. Tayeba Begum Lippi. I am... Uh, one of the founders and trustee of Brito's Trust. And we are showcasing a um, few projects here. The whole thing is, whole project is based, I mean, focused on food politics. I was very in- interested in one particular piece of food politics that shows up. I was passing the stall and there's a uh, ceramic bag of potatoes with black 47 written on it. Yeah, actually all the um, pieces that you see... They're different artists. I think altogether 11 artists are there. You know, the, when it comes to politics, like food politics, then, then you know, there will be coming a lot of other things. There are like war, famine, and uh, lots of like created famine um, in the whole world that we are facing all the times. Yeah, I mean, I was just very interested to see the Irish famine put into that context. I mean, it's an early, um, quite well-documented version of a, um, a deliberate famine. Yeah, I remember in Ireland also, I've been to Ireland as well. I, have, we, I did a residency there at IMA long back, 20 years ago. So I know the story about this famine in Ireland especially the potato, the poisons and all this, and then a lot of people died that time. So it's actually coming from there, you know. So we have picked up all these like global stories to represent our uh, food um, items there. They are all like related, even the, you know, the coffee beans or the um, uh, monofarming of the, um, like, um, bananas. Um, that's also happening in Bangladesh. I mean, we are also, you know, sufferer of many things. So everything came together. We made a journey. It's our revisit to our ethnic communities. They are suffering more than us because we are creating trouble for them. We are creating trouble because we are the mainstream people. 
and we are controlling the country. And uh, we all say that we are Bangladeshis, but in our country also, in that small country, we are also creating troubles in our... So we are not considering their um, situation. So that's all coming together, and it's all related to food. The collective is... Um, it's actually like uh, we have six trustees right now, and um, we have uh, members also, around 20 members. But uh, not necessarily everyone is engaged with every project. Even the people who are associated, um, like who are maybe part of that project, particular project, they become volunteer of the whole project. So it's a voluntary job, full voluntary. It's like 24-7 job, our job. And then we don't mind. We have been doing it for 20 years. So <laughs> hopefully, you know, next generation will take over. Since we have developed a huge ecosystem, and uh, the good thing is when we started uh, registered, like uh, officially founded our organization in 2002, uh, that time there was nothing, I mean, nothing like our space. But now you can find there, is, there are so many groups, actually, group of artists who really, you know, uh, want, to, want to be together and do something together, which is like this collective effort is very important for every country, I think. Like especially the countries like us, it's a very new country. So I think we need to work collectively more than like individually. It, that is a theme for this Documenta 15, right. isn't it? Yeah. That's why we're here, maybe. <laughs> Because they know us very well. <laughs> well, I wondered how much um, it's an attempt to kind of uh, step away from the the infrastructure of the art world as it as it kind of currently exists. Although, like we are also individual artists, we have some other practice. We have our own studio. That's that's okay. But uh, what are you doing for your own community if you need to do anything there? So I think there are so many things that you have to do. Uh, in your whole life. It's not about like being in a uh, very safe space, uh, being happy uh, with yourself. It's about being happy with some other people. Brito Arts Trust's Tayeba Begum Lippi there at Documenta 15, another one of the collective of collectives who assembled to steer this juggernaut art show the hannah arendt artivism institute or instar was founded in cuba in 2015 by the artist tanya Bruguera to highlight cuban artists censored and silenced by the regime instar's zone at documenta 15 involves a hundred day long rotating program of exhibitions lectures workshops cookouts and gigs featuring cuban jazz hip-hop and rave a busy spot at which Culture File found Tanya Bruguera at work. Hi, my name is Tanya Bruguera. I'm an artist and activist from Cuba. You're working at the moment. You're at the T-shirt stall. No, we wonder. This is for donations, but we are waiting for the concert. After the film, it's a concert. So, who's playing? Uh, it's playing uh, DJ uh, Wichi de Vedado and uh, David de Omni and uh, a very, very good uh, trumpet player uh, called uh, 
Gasek. He's an amazing trumpet player. Yeah. I'll hang on for that then. We are right now at the Documenta Halle, which is one of the, I don't know, maybe 30 venues <laughs> this Documenta has to show contemporary art. And our work, coming from INSTAR, the Institute of Artivism Hannah Arendt, um, is being shown. So tell us about how the Institute got its name. <laughs> well, its names uh, came out of uh, a performance I did in, um, inspired by an interrogation session. It sounds more glamorous than it really was. Um, because in one of the interrogation sessions I had, the interrogator had to learn who one of the references of my work was. And it was quite comical to be in the middle of an interrogation session and the interrogator is reciting Wikipedia by heart. So basically, I, I, was, I was saying, oh, maybe I have a, a kind of pedagogical moment here, and maybe I should do this again. And then I decided to read the book by Hannah Arendt, uh, The Origin of Totalitarianism, with the hope that at least they, ha they can read at least a page or, or two paragraphs, you know, so they learn something um, for the next interrogation. We didn't want to do a kind of pathetic, pretending you are in Cuba situation. We wanted to acknowledge that you were not in Cuba and also that you don't know anything about Cuba. And the, what we want to bring in this work is not so much what you're going to learn through the work, but what you're going to know is that you don't know it. And you have to do your job as an audience. It's not going to be a pedagogical, paternalist artwork. It's going to be one artwork that, that shows you you're missing, and you will always miss something. When you first enter the Instar uh, Pavilion, it's not really a pavilion, it's more like a zone, but you, you come across some, a, a room full of masks and faces and some areas to sit and watch. Tell, tell us whose work is that and what's going on. Well, that is a permanent room that we have created. We changed the, the, the other two rooms in the, on the each side every 10 days. But this one is a permanent room. As you say, it's almost like a waiting room or a conversation place or a place where you can get an interrogation, you know. And here I want people to understand not what happened, but how we feel. How we feel about censorship, about being erased of the history, and about how hard it was to create a list of 200, more than 260 artists who have been censored over the 60 years of revolution. We want people to feel. These masks make you are a little creepy, to be honest, and I feel that this is how we feel, the artists who are censored. We become creepy people because nobody wants to talk to you. I actually had this experience. A person who studied with me, who was a colleague, artist, one day crossed, uh, was walking across the, the street not to say hello to me. Is there a different feeling for you when you're working in a maybe quasi-curatorial role than when you're creating your own practice? I mean, it is your own practice. I, I wonder what's, what's the difference in the feeling. Yeah, I think it's the sense of responsibility because when I do my own quote-unquote own work, 
uh, or solo work, what to quote. I actually, I'm responsible. I can be maybe a little edgier. I can be a little more uh, transgressive. Because if something happens, if people don't like it, if people are mad, they're mad with me. <laughs> and I can deal with that. But when you are doing an exercise like this one on showing where Cuba is at the moment, um, you have a big responsibility because you're talking about other people in other venues big like this and other documentas. You see always this kind of tension or competition between the artists. Here is all collaboration. It's all like, I mean, we were cooking at Brito's kitchen and then we're going to do something with Eric Bertrand printing shop and then other people are using our space to give lectures and and part is because we all have the same um, interests you know, we are artists and activists and I think we speak the same language Is it possible to get away from all of those things that are the sort of the architecture of the art world and, and, and you know, they're like the communication, the travel system that artists use? It, you know, this feels like it's an attempt to sidestep it and you, you speak quite positively. Is it possible that that is a, a lasting change? For sure is the right venue to try it because the impact Documenta has and the way in which Documenta sets a trend usually and you can see it already i mean the the turner prize last year was all uh, all the selections all the selected people were collectives and so and also you see all the museums already trying to think how to have artists longer time processes involved in the exhibition i actually received an invitation of a museum in germany while I'm being here, and they understood that it's not about rushing and producing and showing. It's about process, and they say, okay, we have one year to do this in the public, you know. And, and I think I'm not sure that everybody will will follow this idea. It's not for everybody, and I think we need to have diverse diversity in museums. I think we have we need the Met. And we need Tate, modern, but also we need institutions who do this. The problem sometimes in the arts is people feel uh, named or accused when we are trying to bring new ways, not saying the other ones are not good. We're saying, oh, and we can add this one, no? As a methodology. To change society, you cannot do it with only one event. It has to be a persistent and a serious hammering of reality every day, you know. Tanya Bruguera there at this year's Documenta 15 in Kassel, Germany. And Documenta 15 continues in the city until September 25th. Meanwhile, if you've had a look at Culture Files' Twitter feed recently, you may have seen a collection of cats dressed in menswear on the cliffs of Moher. The images, which are worth a look if you haven't seen them, at Culture File Pod on Twitter for that, were created by a certain composer and artist and Culture File correspondent. Or were they? We may know by the end of the latest edition of Jennifer Walsh's Things Know Things. Depending on what parts of the internet you frequent, 
You may have witnessed a certain type of image flooding your feed over the summer months. I'm not talking about snaps of sunny beach holidays or hikes in the west of Ireland. I'm talking about images of, for example, a robot reclining on a couch as if painted by Van Gogh. Or a photorealistic picture of Michelangelo's David wearing hot pink headphones. Or what looks like a design for a chair made out of avocados. I'm talking about images created by artificial intelligence. These images might be arranged in small 3x3 grids or appear singly in your feed. They might look like photos or watercolours or oil paintings or medieval tapestries or any other artistic medium you can think of. They might look like they were painted by Manet or snapped by Ansel Adams or drawn by an animator at Studio Ghibli. What unites them is that they were all generated by AI. These images are usually accompanied by deep excitement and hashtags identifying the algorithm that generated them. AIs such as Doll E, Mid Journey, Stable Diffusion and Crayon. But most crucially, the images are usually accompanied by a short piece of text, which is the prompt that generated them. Prompts might be very simple, such as cats modeling Versace clothes, or they might be more technical, such as macro 35mm photograph of a sneaker popping a skateboard, bokeh effect, dim lighting. Quite often, the prompts function as jokes in and of themselves. I'm assuming that for the listener, cute coronavirus movie by Pixar or Mar-a-Lago FBI raid Lego set work, even on the radio. The prompt is crucial to understanding the context of the images, but also how the networks function. Because if I want to generate an image using Doll E, for example, all I need to do is sign into the website type my prompt into a text box and press enter. In less than a minute, I get four results. If I don't like what I see, I can rework my prompt, refining cats modeling Versace into cats modeling Versace in a GQ photo shoot styled by Edward Enninful at the cliffs of Moher on an autumn day and see what that produces. The process requires zero coding ability. If you can type text, you can use these networks. I can't stress this enough. All you need to be able to do is express the image in natural language. It opens up image generation to anyone with internet access. Doll E, Mid Journey, Stable Diffusion. These are stunning achievements and they mark a paradigm shift in the history of art. And here, at the end of this hot AI summer, I'm wondering what this means for art, for artists, for the students who will start studying art and music at university in only a few weeks. The companies who made these networks are already talking about text-to-video and text-to-audio generation. If everyone can produce an exhibition worth of images, or a film, or a piece of music, with only a few lines of text, then new forms of art, 
new aesthetics, new ways of evaluating how and why we value art, how and why we make art, are inevitably going to emerge. A lot of artists are going to lose their livelihoods, even as a lot of new people are going to be able to make art for the first time. Last week, Jason Allen, the president of a tabletop gaming company, won first prize in the Colorado State Fair's digital art category using an image generated by Midjourney. Allen made much of his input into the project, stating that he had used a quote-unquote special prompt, which he would reveal at a later date. And it occurs to me that this is what a lot of art is going to be over the next while. Prompts. We are all writers now. Jennifer Walsh's Things Know Things There, bringing to a close this edition of the Culture File Weekly. We'll be back next Saturday tea time with more synthetic cuteness. Meanwhile, don't forget to like, subscribe, review, follow, or blow kisses at the Culture File podcast feed wherever you get yours. Till next week, bye now. <laughs>